Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello and welcome to Ticket for One, the podcast that celebrates female solo travel. My name is Kate Wills, I'm a travel journalist, and each week I'm going to be speaking to a woman who inspires me about her adventures alone. Today's guest is the author Jessie Burton. In 2009, while working as a temp and trying to be an actress, Jessie took a trip to Amsterdam which would change her life. Inspired by an elaborate doll's house in the Rijksmuseum there, she began to write her debut novel, The Miniaturist, on the tube to work and from her desk at her day job. It went on to be a huge bestseller, bought by over a million people and turned into a TV series for the BBC. But after such stratospheric and sudden success, Jessie experienced a period of anxiety and depression alongside the breakup of a long-term relationship all of which became the catalyst for a trip by herself to South America. Jessie's second book, The Muse, was partly set in Spain, where she lived alone as a student, and her third novel, The Confession, which comes out in paperback today, is based between London, where Jessie lives, and Los Angeles and New York, where she's travelled recently. So I was really excited to interview Jessie about how she turns her solo travels into inspiration for her writing. We also talked about the best earplugs, why bodegas and chemists are better than museums, and why what you do when you get home from a trip is almost as important as what happens when you're there. Jessie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like you're actually the perfect person to talk about this topic because I know that travel is not only an important part of your life but it's also been a big part of your work as well. Yeah there's always a different location in my novels. (laughs) Yeah I love that. So let's start at the beginning because it was a trip to Amsterdam that that first inspired the idea behind your first novel The Miniaturist. Um, Can you tell us a bit about that trip or maybe it was a few trips? So I was uh, it was 2009 And my then boyfriend suggested that we go to Amsterdam for a mini break. Very Bridget Jones. Um, (laughs) Must be love. Yeah, we're not (laughs) together anymore. um, Yeah, so we went and um, I'd never been, he'd never been. And then he said he wanted to go to the Rijksmuseum, which is one of the major museums in the city, but not just really Amsterdam, but in the world. I think it's Mm. an astonishing repository of treasures. 
And that was when I saw the cabinet house that became kind of like one of the central characters, really, of the first novel, The Miniaturist, which is a a book about this young bride, Nella, who gets sent all these miniatures to decorate her cabinet house that start predicting her future. But yeah, so it was there that I saw it. And it was just this beautiful object. And um, back in those days, you weren't allowed to take photos. And I kept getting in trouble with the security guard because I was I was genuinely immediately drawn to it magnetically. And I, I wanted to know more about it. And that's when I started connecting it to the city itself, because the Dolls House was built in 1686. So I started looking around the city for kind of clues of the 17th century life. And it's really easy in Amsterdam, as I'm sure your listeners know, it's such a beautifully preserved old centre. So yeah, it all sort of started there. And then because I was, um, you know, I had a job back in London, I couldn't get over there at all. I really didn't um, have the opportunity to go back until I'd nearly finished the book three times to go and check some stuff about two, three years later. Oh, wow. Okay. So you did most of it just from research and yeah. and memory. Yeah. What an amazing idea to have. When, when you were kind of captivated by that doll's house room in 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 the Rikes Museum did you kind of immediately think oh that that would be a really great novel or did it did it kind of percolate for a while and I definitely didn't think oh this is going to be a great novel I thought it was a cool story like a, a like the idea of this woman owning this house that she spent so much money on like it was the equivalent of um one of those big Amsterdam townhouses over wow. about 19 years she spent that money and the psychology behind making all these little beds you can't sleep in and all this beautiful food and pottery and chairs and paintings and candlesticks and a working fountain and all these other rooms you can't even see when you look at it. They're all hidden in different bits of the wall and in the floor of it. And I, I just thought, what the hell is going on there? And there was something sustaining about the cabinet house over the next sort of, well, how long was it? Five years that it took me to write the book. Um, but certainly at the time, it was more um, a genuine kind of amateur fascination with the city of Amsterdam and the history of Amsterdam, rather than this is going to be my novel. It just started as a as a story, really. Yeah, wow. And I've actually, after I read the book, I, I went to Amsterdam and kind of had a look at the, oh. the doll's house. And I've noticed that that room is so busy now. And I, I always am like, God, I bet all these people have read the miniatures too. And that's why they're in it. It's like the busiest room in that museum, apart from the painting. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, yeah. people send me photos of it. And they do say that some of the, the staff there on security guards are like, oh, yeah, do you, you want to see the house? But it's a permanent exhibit there because I think it is just such a beautiful beautiful document as well of the life of a fairly wealthy merchant in late 17th century Europe so it's quite it's quite a kind of little peephole I suppose into a way of life there's so much in that museum it's just stacks isn't there it's so cool that you you picked out that one bit and I know lots of people are kind of doing miniaturist tours of of Amsterdam now and kind of following the the places (laughs) mentioned in the book but what would be like your favorite thing I mean, one of the nicest things to do, and it is a bit sort of touristy, but also, you know what, it's the the city dwellers themselves are using the canals all the time, like it's a maritime city, but it's to get on the the canals and use a boat to go through the, not just the, the old part known as the Golden Bend and the Jordan, but, you know, round out to the east and to the west. It's just such a lovely way of seeing the city. And I love going to the old church as well. 
this, I think it's got the oldest roof in Europe. I think it's like 13th wow. century wood. And on the ceiling, you can still see there are paintings of um, saints of goldsmithery and the saints of like ocean goers and things like that, because of course it's such a city that's connected to the water and to money. So I love doing that, but also just like a ramble through the old bits. And there's always a lovely shop. Like they're really good on their design touch. And I just love doing that and, you know, just getting a beer and just like swinging your legs over the side of the canal and just seeing life go by. It's, it's, you know, I mean, that's when the weather's nice, obviously. It's a beautiful one as well for a nighttime stroll because they have this thing that I think is so interesting. It's so different to the Brits, which is that their windows are so exposed. So you can like turn your head and you can just look through and it is a bit like looking into a doll's house, all these little scenes or like looking through an advent calendar. People don't seem to mind being on show. So it's good. It's it's true, isn't it? And they've they've sort of normally got like really chic interiors oh, as well, as I recall. Yeah, very love-making <laughs> interiors. And in terms of solo travel, I remember reading an article that you, you wrote a few years ago now about a trip that you took by yourself to South America. Yeah. Um, what was happening in, in your life that kind of made you want to, to go away by yourself at that point? And, um, and how did you find the experience? Well, uh, the first reason I was there was because I was invited to take part in the Hay Festival Colombia. Um, so that was an opportunity I I could never, uh, turn down. And I really, I'd always wanted to go to Colombia. So in some ways it was always going to be solo. Like I, you know, I suppose I could have taken a friend or something, but so I found myself out there having been flown out by the Hay Festival, which is kind of amazing. But I was recently single um, by the, the the chap who took me to Amsterdam, actually. So um, Ah, that one. Okay. So we'd split up and uh, we'd been together for eight years. And so I suppose it was the first time in my adult life that I had financial means of my own and no dependence, no commitments. I just finished a novel. So when you are a, a writer and you've finished a book, there is an enormous sense of a burden being lifted. So I just sort of felt now's the time and it chimed in obviously with being there for the Hay Festival. I decided I wanted to go to Suriname, which is a tiny country just um, wedged between the Guyanas on the east coast or northeast coast of uh, the continent of South America, just above Brazil. And it used to be the um, former colony of, of the Dutch, of the Netherlands. So I wanted to go and see where all the sugar plantations had been that kind of fueled if you like the miniaturist subplot because obviously they were so wealthy from their sugar so there was a kind of literary point going but also I guess yeah like an existential like an adventure on my own yeah wow I mean I've never I'd never even heard of of Suriname so what what was it like there does it get many tourists It, it was a challenge because they don't speak English really because of colonialism they're um, official language is Dutch and then Sran and Tongo. And if you have a smattering of French or Spanish, you might be able to get by unless you are fluent in Dutch, which I am not. Um, <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, yeah. And it's a very, it's very humid uh, place. And also it's about 70% water. So you're going to be going around on uh, like in a boat or maybe in a plane, a water plane, less so on roads. It's very swampy. It's covered in rainforest, um, there's a lot of mangroves, a lot of piranhas. And it was a place that, for my money, it felt like, and it was quite thrilling as, as a result, 
that health and safety or like strict rules about what you could and couldn't do hadn't quite been, I don't know, established. So, you know, you'd get to some jetty or old plantation that was now the jungle had reclaimed and you the way of getting on it was just I mean honestly like rotting wood that was just like giving way into the swamp which actually made it very very exciting yeah and was that was that your first experience kind of traveling alone or had you done done bits of it I mean I had lived alone in Spain as part of my degree so back when I was like 20 but that was quite different because you know, you're, I speak Spanish and um, I was working at a school. So there's a kind of infrastructure. Of, whereas this was very much like everything I had to do, I had to sort out on my own. I had like those sometimes I would like pre-do a journey um, in daylight so that I knew what I was doing at dawn when there wouldn't be any light to like That's know where I was going. That's a good idea. That's <laughs> a good tip, actually. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. Everything looks scarier in the dark, doesn't it? Well, I, That's why I always try not to arrive at, in a place if, if you can when it's dark because you're like, oh, this looks so sinister. And then in the morning you're like, it's actually totally fine. Yeah, exactly. It's just a field. Yeah. <laughs> when you're on your own and I think as well as a woman, I think, you know, there, you do sometimes feel more vulnerable. It doesn't hurt being prepared. But yeah, you have to do everything. And there was a really ropey moment early on so there was um normally you can um hope that like there'll be a hole in the wall ATM somewhere that either takes visas or MasterCard. Suriname didn't there was something about it, about the banks that um my cards were being rejected and I didn't have any means of like getting any money out. And then I tried one more time, like definitely like keeping cool about it, like just being like, you know, there's no point getting upset about this, even though I'm here for like a week and I don't have any money because you can't get the money outside the country. And then I walked away and then something made me just like go back and check. And about five minutes after I'd done everything, my money had been like spewed out by the ATM. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The God. Um, And that got me through the week. But I also think sometimes when you're on your own, it's really interesting, like what you may, how you may react differently. If I've been with somebody else, I may have panicked because I felt like I could hand over the responsibility to them to deal with it. Whereas it was just like, well, I, you know, I really have to be the grown up here and deal with this because, you know, it's really quite serious. Like there's no money. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Maybe it does kind of give you a bit more of a kind of like, calm and sort of more responsible because it is just just, just you, you yeah. to fall back on yeah and, and and what is it that that you love about experiencing a place by yourself because it is quite a different thing isn't it to being with friends or being with a boyfriend yeah no absolutely it's very different and I think well the pros are you know you're on your own schedule you can do whatever you want whenever you want it um, if you don't want to do anything, you can just lie around in your hotel room or your rental place. Or if you want to do 500 things in one day, that's absolutely your prerogative. And also, I think there's, you know, a time to just sort of meditate and be on your own and enjoy your own company, which I have to really, because I'm a novelist. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time yeah. alone. And I'm also an only child, so I'm quite used to it. But obviously, sometimes it's a bit, it can be a bit tiring because you don't have someone to share it with or to split the load of uh, planning or or if difficult things happen and I often what I do is I'll often have a really lovely big lunch out Um, I tend not to when I'm on my own traveling eat dinner out there's something I still find challenging about 
and I have done it because you have to, but like eating alone in a restaurant and depending on the restaurant, like sometimes they really make you feel like you're taking up a good space that could have been taken for two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I often enjoy the, the mornings and the afternoons and maybe have a quieter meal somewhere else. And I just, sometimes I think when you're traveling, there's a, a panic that you, you have to absorb everything. You have to be like living in the moment, enjoy this because it's not going to last forever. And I think that's a really sort of counterproductive um, pressure to put on yourself when you're away. Um, you're not going to like magically transform your personality by being in a beautiful place or a culturally stimulating place. You're still you. But I think it's the way it works. It's way over on you. It's magic onto you. Often is only noticed when you come back home. Um, so it's a bit like meditation or exercise, not always easy in the moment. And then actually what you're doing is actually, I don't know, imbuing your your memories and your mind with with pleasurable things that you can recall later Ooh. in the moment to absorb it all, especially when it can be quite tiring. I mean, it's a privileged thing to say, like travel is fatiguing, but it can be, and you have to be easy on yourself and not try and tick 17 things off your list every day. That's such a good point. I think especially as a lot of women, they, they go on solo trips when they're kind of, they, they've maybe had like a big life event, like a breakup yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And, and you, you go away really kind of thinking, oh, this trip's really going to change me, kind of the eat, pray, love effect. Yeah. And then you sort of feel disappointed when obviously you get there and you're, you're just yeah. exactly the same person. Um, so that's really true, I think, about sometimes you don't always notice until you get, get home yeah. how it has affected you. Especially when, yeah, because when you're in a situation, it's like anything, you need time afterwards to process it. But yeah, it is it is hard in the moment where you think you're supposed to be like, either having like your Instagram worthy experience, or, you know, meeting new people. And it's not always easy to do that. So mm, definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking of challenging times, you know, you've, you've spoken very openly before about anxiety, depression, and, and I know that, you know, traveling, especially traveling alone, but traveling in, in general can kind of exacerbate those, those feelings, you know, have you found that and what, what do you kind of try and do to overcome them? Oh, well, I mean, sometimes I think if I'm feeling vulnerable, I won't push myself to do lots of things. And I think if you're feeling that that might be happening, you have to understand that that those feelings, particularly anxiety, maybe depression is a different creature, but you know, that they will pass like a moment of panic or a moment of anxiety will pass. And yeah, it it is a tricky one that because sometimes you think you're going to go away in order to kind of escape problems or or, or things that make you anxious but of course you carry them in yourself I mean I just sort of like I said I sort of keep close to where I'm staying or I make sure I've got lots of water on board and sleeping and not sort of pushing myself perhaps into too unfamiliar situations but I think the thing is is to just be aware and accepting that you know going somewhere new you know isn't going to change how you might feel it's a much slower process it works on you so much more slowly Mm, and maybe more deeply as well yeah exactly when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you find the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And then let's talk about your your most recent book, The Confession, because yeah. that's set between London and LA, and also yeah. a little bit in New York. So, did you did you kind of spend time over in the US for research, and or you know what what, what inspires you about those cities? It really makes me laugh that LA has become this like big setting in the confession because I think I was there for all of like five days in my whole life. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> a memorable five days, no, though, clearly. Oh, it really was. <laughs> and it's so funny because I know New York fairly well. I've been lucky enough to be there a few times because of my, my American publishers being um, over there and doing promotion for the book. And I have a, a very good friend who lives in New York. But um, yeah, LA was like a whole different kettle of fish. I was like, my eyes were on stalks. I was like, that Andre like turns up and is like, what is this Wonderland? But at the same time, I felt it to be quite, not repellent, that's not the word, but like difficult. Like I was like, I couldn't penetrate it. I was like, I don't, when you're in New York, you can be on foot. So many cities are, on, you know, are accessible on foot, just like London. But there it took me a while to kind of understand about you know how the different zones of LA work and the little villagey vibe and all of that stuff and of course I would never presume to know the city where where I wrote the city I wrote it through the eyes of um, a young woman called Elise who is very young she's like 22 I think in the book quite yeah I think she turns about 23 in the book and she's in this kind of magical land where people are making themselves up literally as they go along, changing their names, getting movie careers, going through five husbands, all that kind of (laughs) generative like renewal and make-believe that is, you know, Hollywood. And I think I'm quite drawn to that as a former actress and as a writer who just likes making stuff up. And, you know, the weather is stunning, the people are quite eccentric. And I think the West Coast gets a kind of bad rap for being you know, less intellectual or all a bit sort of California bimbo compared to like, say, the East Coast of America. But actually, there's some very, very smart people there, obviously. So that was fun to write as well, that, you know, these people are smart. 
it was just a fantasy. Like I, I knew New York and I know London, obviously, like the back of my hand. I was born here, but LA was like this fantasy setting, this, this fabulous landscape where people have beautiful turquoise pools in their garden and everyone's beautiful but also really damaged and you know, yeah it does have that cd under yeah. to it yeah. I, I think that's cool did you did you go there knowing that you were gonna set part oh, of the book no. there or was it no, no oh, okay no. i was you just experienced those things yeah it was i was just like this place is bonkers. <laughs> I love it. I did like it. I really did. Like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm slagging LA off, but like, I just was like, I, so I went twice. Once I was there for a historical fiction conference very briefly. And then I came back to do some TV promotion for the miniaturist being aired out in America, the TV series. The second time I was like, ah, okay, I get this place a bit better now. Like, it's a place where it's still got that like old gold rush kind of mentality that like, you can go out there and make your fortune boy, like mm. whether or not that's true, <laughs> but it's got that feel to it. And it is interesting to me that I only spent six days there and yet set you know, half a book there. Whereas like the muse, which is set in half in um, South Spain, I lived there for a very long time and I know that landscape so much better, but it just is really interesting just on a, from a writing perspective that you can literally visit a place maybe one day and and then it has this it works its way on into you yeah that do you think there is a bit of a of a knack to to doing that though like do you kind of try and experience a place like being very open to it and being very receptive so that these ideas and inspirations can form that's a really good question what attitude do you take to a place when you turn up I mean I, I do think I'm quite a curious person and I'm quite mm-hmm. nosy and I really love going to local supermarkets I always think like <laughs> the local shop like forget the museums and the galleries it's like the bodegas that's where real life is happening that's so true and chemists <laughs> I love chemists oh, in foreign cities give me a French chemist that's like yeah. <laughs> um yeah no totally I think yeah you do have to go with a a sort of okay it's all going to be on your term city or country not mine like mm. and as soon as you do that as soon as you let go and that's kind of what I learned when I was in Suriname I was like obviously going on my own I was a little uptight and then I was just like you know what just relax like you know nothing bad's going to happen if your schedule is a bit out and actually when you let the unloosen the knots if you like like things happen of their own accord that are so beautiful because you've not planned them. They happen to you because you've kind of let yourself relax. You've let the barriers down so that new experiences can come in. And as for like how on earth it happens that you absorb it to write about it. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I think that's a very kind of difficult question to answer, but as a normal person traveling, I, I, you know, I love just wandering around like, always take the first morning to just like walk around and not just like the big hotspot places, but just the normal streets. And as we've just said, like going to the local shops and that kind of stuff. Mm, definitely. Are you are you the type of writer who always carries a notebook <laughs> and you're kind of overhearing conversations or getting <laughs> inspired? No, I'm not. I, I, you know what? I take a notebook. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take my moleskin. <laughs> really lovely Mont Blanc. I don't actually have a Mont Blanc then. And then do I write anything? No, I do not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't write a thing. I just sit around and I have a a Prosecco or whatever it is. And I, I, I know myself now. I know to just like 
let it let it be easy like just don't go around like trying to journalist out the place just relax just absorb it yeah (laughs) just trust myself that I you know and of course maybe sometimes I might write a couple of things down maybe by the third day but I don't like journal I took my mum to Mexico and it was so sweet she was like journaling every day like what we've done and so cute and I just wasn't writing anything I can't even remember it (laughs) oh it's okay you've got her journal she'll let me have it that's a good person to travel with (laughs) have you done any other other solo trips that you want to speak about or are there any on your list that you'd like to do uh do you know what during this whole lockdown and this strange year we've had I've sort of it's almost like I thought it can't it won't ever happen again which is not a positive Mm. way of thinking but the thought that we might be able to go away on big trips like not little like hops over to France or Spain but like the thought of getting on a long haul flight right now is daunting to me you know my partner is a very independent man and we travel well together touch wood which means I don't know if I'd be doing any more solo trips in the foreseeable because I'd quite like to go with him and then like we'd just split up for the day and do our own thing and I learned that the hard way with an ex which was just like okay we work best when we're not like trying to do what the other one wants to do as well yeah you know we go on holiday and we want to do different things like I don't want to see 15 Romanesque churches I'm sorry yeah (laughs) I want to go to the French chemist (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so at the moment there's nothing on the horizon I'm being very uh conservative about my travel which is probably not what you want to hear no but I think it can this lockdown for me has actually been a really nice opportunity to get to know London a bit more and kind of explore home in a way that you don't when you're like jetting all around and I think you know there's been something quite humbling about how quiet the sky was just you know I've been very lucky with my book and I've done a lot of plane journeys to all these amazing countries to sort of talk about my work and to sell my books and there was a sense of relief in a way and not and not having to get on a plane I still really want to go to Montana and I I want to see those big open spaces and I'd like to go to Iceland. I've always wanted to go to Montana. I don't know what it is because I've got literally like no connections to that place at all. I think it's the, it's the nature, the the landscape is just so breathtaking and so different to like my own backyard. (laughs) It's an understatement, but um, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to do that one day. I want to do a big American trip like that. And I've always been drawn to Iceland. I think that's a cool place. And my partner is Australian and, you know, we were there last year. Yeah, last year. And that is a beautiful country. And I, you know, I'd like to see more of that. But again, it's like this whole lockdown. Like we can't, his family are in Melbourne and we can't. Yeah, it's so hard. Mm. So tough for people with family abroad. Hopefully soon, though, or in the not too distant <laughs> yeah. future. I'd love to get there for winter. Everyone always goes on some country, yeah. but I always save up my holiday for December or January because I'm like, I cannot do the UK in January. It's like, it's like depression personified. Uh, totally. My good friend from university um, lives in Nairobi, and uh, we actually were there this January, and I feel very very lucky because we were literally there about three weeks before lockdown happened in this country and just 
either we would have had to stay out there, which wouldn't have been difficult, but I guess in the long term would have. But the whole thing of like getting that gorgeous experience and then it, you know, this year just like morphing into this completely unexpected, whatever it is, you know, yeah. <laughs> that we're going through. So you got to have a kind of taste of adventure before everything yeah, locked down. I, I feel now like I'm seeing people's pics on the gram, you know, they're in France and Spain and Santorini and it looked mm. stunning. But I just think, you know what, like we got lucky in January, like we don't need to jump on a plane right now. And like we were just discussing earlier, like it's the whole experience of 2020 has changed perhaps what I feel about travel. And I do feel for places like Scotland and, you know, the southwest of England, where a lot of tourists are going to they keep wanting to go to the beaches and the highlands. But one of the most beautiful holidays I've ever had was in Scotland. We just got lucky with the weather, even though if it had been raining, to be honest, it was so majestic, the landscape that I wouldn't have minded. But yeah, you know, there's still a lot to be enjoyed locally. Mm, where in Scotland did you go? We went to a um, island called Eileen Shona, which is actually a private island that you can rent houses on. Wow. Houses don't have electricity. So that sounds amazing. Mind blowing. Like we had like gas lamps we had to learn how to use and gas uh, cylinders for the cooker. And our our house was the furthest away from the main jetty and the main house. And we took all our food with us in a wheelbarrow. Honestly, Kate, it was just like, because the weather was so beautiful, it was like we were on a Greek island, but kind of mixed with Narnia because it was like hers, <laughs> but with like Aegean coloured water. It was unreal. And the whole thing of like not being able to use your phone, not being able to call someone, text someone, not being able to plug in your phone, not being able to yeah. have electricity. You became very dependent on the, you know, the sunrise and then the sunset. And it was beautiful. Wow, that sounds incredible. Like going back in time. Probably. Yeah, it was, it was. And I read more books in that week than I think I managed in a whole year. <laughs> I was going to ask about books, actually, and whether you like to read things that are kind of set in the place or vital in the place or whether it's just, you know, an opportunity as it is for many of us to actually get some reading done when we go away. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think I think I tend to be, I'm always sort of a person who does things after the event. So if I've been somewhere, then I read about them when I come home, maybe mm. I keep them alive in my imagination. Or write about them. Oh, yeah, in your case. Yeah, real, <laughs> I basically write a novel about them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I know I tend to take, like you said, you know, the reading list that you really want to catch up on. And I actually quite like the um, sort of dissonance of like reading a book set in 18th century I don't know, Florence, and yet you're in like uptown New York or like, I love that kind of like hybridity. Um, I don't feel like I need to read in theme with where I am. Yeah, that's true. Actually, it's kind of nice to have a real disjunction between what you're reading and where you are. I remember reading like Anna Karenina on a beach. Love it. That's that's where you need to be because you need some time to get through those poems. That said, I, I did read Circe by Madeline Miller on the Scottish island of Eileen Shona. And obviously so much of Circe is about her island. And so that was that was kind of cool because I was like, wow. I'm like, I look up and then I can just see these craggy rocks and trees and imagine all these little nymphs coming out and turning men to pigs. That was not planned. 
So other than than books, is there anything that you always pack on a trip? Earplugs, because I'm a very light fan, and I've done a very thorough survey of the best earplugs. <laughs> and I can officially tell you that the best ones are boots, uh, muffles. I've been wearing them now for seven years and I think I have a psychosomatic dependency on them. (laughs) I don't think I can sleep now without them, but they are so useful. They really block out all noise. So I can't, I'm, I'm never without that. I always take an optimistic notebook. I will confess, but I often write anything in, but like I said, maybe about by day three or four, like there might be a little jotting in there. Other than that, like, I don't know, I try and take a slim down, makeup bag I mean if it's a city break if it's a like holiday thing I'm just like I can't be bothered I just wear some moisturizer I also have a very severe latex allergy so um I can't wear swimwear so I always take like all my this is so boring but like wow that must be difficult oh so what do you wear to swim in oh well sometimes like Victorian cotton vests just cool that doesn't have latex and it's let me tell you very hard I cannot believe someone used to corner the market in this so there is a company I think they're based in Utah they might be the only Mormon bikini company but they they're called decent exposures how modern amazing their swimmer isn't the most glamorous but like I've had this problem since I was about 11 I can't wear snorkels goggles swimwear anything that kind of comes into contact with my skin with heat it literally makes it looks like I've been flayed like I just want to rip my skin off so um, this company makes latex free swimwear and I remember like on Instagram about a year ago I put out this like pathetic plea like does anyone know and you know people were very generously sending things like this company and I was like no this is just swimwear made out of old plastic from the sea it still has knicker elastic it's not going to make any difference and yeah, I never look particularly good on the beach, but to be honest, I really don't care because if it means I can sunbathe, be in the sea, not worry that within two hours I'm just going to be covered in welts, I don't care. Skinny dipping is maybe the way forward well, for you. Exactly. Maybe a, a nudist holiday. <laughs> maybe that's next on the list, yeah. <laughs> I love talking to Jessie about the trips that have inspired her and it got me thinking about how to make a solo adventure as fulfilling as possible. Here are some things that I've learned from a decade of taking solo trips. I think it's really important to keep some kind of record when you're traveling. It doesn't need to be a notebook but when you're having experiences alone it's really nice to record them in some way. It could be recording sounds on your phone, taking photos, doing drawings or just keeping mementos of tickets and menus and receipts. When you get home and time has passed, these things can be really powerful to jog your memory. The other thing that's important if you're looking to be inspired is just to get a bit lost in a place. And I think that's another brilliant thing about going away by yourself is that you can just go where the wind takes you on a whim. When you're not hurrying around trying to follow a plan or even worse, someone else's plan, you can notice all the little details instead. And finally, I love to immerse myself in a place. It might be reading a book that's set there. It might be listening to music. It might be eating local delicacies or or just chatting to local people. But whatever you can do to really throw yourself into the place that you're visiting and let it seep into your psyche will pay dividends when it comes to feeling inspired back at home. 
That's all from me. Thank you so much for listening to Ticket for One. I'll be back next week, or you can follow me on Instagram at Kate Wills Writes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review it as it really helps other people to find it. And I'd love it if you wanted to share your own experiences of solo travel with me or any questions you might have about it by emailing ticketforonepodcast at gmail.com. I hope to see you next week and goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.